0: Hey folks, you know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, a NormaCast fan, and partner at Markov. Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. It's oh, yeah, big, the big place That's out. a big nice. place. You sold oh, so i so really
1: out. should... Uh, the hell are you doing I couldn't sleep I'm checking the ropes there was a frayed end on
0: Europe and I'm cutting it out
1: good weather bad weather now or later anytime hey folks
0: this episode is also brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, and as usual, our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to defiantbean.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee. All right, let's see if I can get this thing started again. Uh-huh. Hello, and welcome to the Enormal Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is, it is, oh, I don't know. I forgot to look at the date before I started doing this. I could just start over. Oh, wait, it's right there on my computer, right in front of me. It is June 20th, 9.50 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. This is episode 37 of the Enormal Cast. On today's show, I have publisher, owner, Guru, El Presidente of Rock and Ice Magazine, Dwayne Raleigh, over to talk about safety. Now, Dwayne has agreed to come back and do an interview, just a straight-up interview about his long and storied career in rock, ice, and mountaineering, but today we talk about safety, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Before we get to that, today I'm just going to thank my sponsors. I mentioned them all already, and I would like to also just thank those of you who have donated to the show, and those of you who have put some time in reviewing us over on iTunes, and actually I'd just like to thank everybody for listening. One of the benefits of me doing this show is that it has grown the community of climbers with whom I interact exponentially, and despite my fear of internet trolls, this expansion of my climbing universe has been nearly a hundred percent positive. I get a lot of emails from people. I do a lot of interaction with fans, and it's been totally awesome. But maybe not quite totally. There are a couple of instances of this sort of community expansion about which I must remain a little bit ambivalent. And as I've lived a long time in this climbing world, and as I've alluded to many times on the show, I've known a few people who have been lost in the mountains. So I've been relatively close to tragedy in that sense. And as the normal cast community has grown, I guess it's only inevitable that that larger sphere would draw me and us closer to some of those tragedies out there in the climbing world. Because climbing rock, climbing ice, climbing mountains, we can debate it all we want, but it definitely has a lot of risk to it. It has a lot of danger in it, at least much more than just sitting on your couch and watching television. And as many of you who follow the Facebook page know, last month a listener, Lucas Dunn, was killed in a climbing accident at Taquitz in Southern California. And very few of you will probably remember that. Lucas was the first letter that I read in the listener mail episode, episode 20 was from Lucas, young super psych climber that I ended up corresponding with quite a bit over the last year and a half, and I didn't know Lucas that well, but that doesn't mean that the loss of this young climber didn't affect me in a way that was rather profound. And also, many of you probably don't know, unless again you follow the Facebook page or know me personally or know the community very closely that Kevin Landolt from episode 26 the also young climber who was fighting leukemia actually lost that fight and he passed away this last March I just want you guys to know about these two dudes because by all accounts they were the best among us and they were amazing young climbers And even though most of you didn't know Kevin and Lucas, and I didn't know Kevin and Lucas that well, you should still yell into the night with anger and frustration over them being gone. Because, like you, they were climbers, which means they were part of your tribe. And when we lose a member of our tribe or our cohort, our community, whatever you want to call it. So we must memorialize them because simply put, they are us and we are them. Alright then. You guys still with me? Too heavy? Was that too heavy? I hope not. Alright, on today's show, Dwayne Raleigh and I discuss safety. Just a few little things that you guys can think about put into your regime or not but at least to get you thinking about what it takes to kind of up your chances in the mountains so it's time for a good old fashioned safety meeting with Dwayne Raleigh. Yeah, okay, and I'll just, I'll sort of futz with this, and also one thing too about um the way I record, so if you're talking and I am not looking you in the eye, you know, don't get uncomfortable. I mean, in a normal conversation...
1: Actually, I'm better if you don't look in yeah, my eyes. Okay,
0: good. In a normal conversation, you'd be like, that fucker's not even listening to me, but... <laughs> It's because I'm just kind of fussing with levels, but I'm listening.
1: Sounds like something my wife would say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, not, he's just like looking at his Facebook page. You're looking like up that. at the crag again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I drove by yesterday and saw you, your car at Redstein. Yeah, huh and uh, I was slowed down, like, and looking and looking and looking, and then finally, like, bah, this guy behind me is like fully beeping <laughs> at me because I didn't even notice that I had dropped down to like twenty miles per hour. So, Where,
1: was that before, or after the rain?
0: Uh, it was right
1: before. Yeah, yeah you probably came got down hammered. In buckets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I got home and I looked back, I was like, "Whoa! I hope he, I hope he's not on a rope up
1: there." I was, but it, it, we were on a really steep wall. Oh, okay, so it was totally dry. Yeah, and that
0: that crag's coming
1: together. Yeah, there's about, I don't know, there's over a hundred roots up there. A hundred roots? Right around there, maybe more. Holy cow. Um, where exactly? Well, the cliff is <clears throat> almost a thousand feet high. Really? And it's, there. there's actually six different cliffs uh-huh. that are stacked like building blocks. Right. And it, they're all sandstone, but every band is a different type of sandstone, so they all climb differently. Huh. One band's like Meteor. It's all cobbles, like Maple. Uh huh. The upper band is just like Eldo Sandstone. Really? Unfortunately, it's the highest band. Right. You know, it's it a huge approach. And then the other bands, one's like the Fisher Towers, but a lot cleaner, but it's uh-huh. that wind sculpted. Sure. Like That's kind of what I thought it all was gargoyle features. It's mm-hmm. really cool. It's free climbable, really good climbing. And, you know, every every band is a different crag, has a di- different atmosphere. The belay hangs different. The rock climbs differently. Mm-hmm. The root grades are different. Like the first band has like a big roof, so most of the roots are like twelves and thirteens, of horizontal roofs. And then the second band is like vert technical, and then with a lot of arête features. That's the the Fisher Towers band. The third, right. third band is all cobbles. Uh-huh. It's like like maple. Right. The fourth band is more like the Fishers, but it's a lot smoother and cleaner. And then the upper band's like Eldo. And then at the base of the crag, there's a big slab. Right. And the CRMS crew has put I don't know, a dozen roots up on the slab. They're like 5'8 to
0: 5'10. Uh, they've been there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I've climbed up there yep. like years and years and years ago. Yeah, they've rebolted yep. everything oh, okay. and,
1: and added tons of bolts and cleaned it off. Oh, okay. They're adding second pitches because the slab keeps going. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't stop where they put the anchors. So. Oh, okay. Awesome.
0: Well, I'm sold. I was skeptical, but you're, you're a good salesman. I'm sold. Because all I'd ever climbed was on that slab down below. <laughs> I
1: almost died on that climb. slab. But at least I first moved to Redstone uh-huh. in 90. 19- this will be a good segue into <laughs> our actual show. In, in 1990, <laughs> I was pretty cocky. i have been training a lot and traveling and climbing, I'd been to Smith and the valley and going all over. And I go up there with Lisa. we just gotten married, so I'm like showing off. We get up to the base of the slab. I'm like, I can climb anything she looks up there she goes how about that slab I'm like oh yeah I can do that without a rope she's like alright we'll do it really she told you to go do it yeah so I head up head up the slab it looks like it's about 5'8 and Mm -hmm. it is I'm cruising along it's going pretty pretty well and I get up to just below the exit like 15 feet below the exit it just blanks out there's no you've done the route probably but it's just blank and all the crimps give way and there's no more side poles, and it's pure friction for like ten feet. And I look up there, and I'm like, well, I can down climb, or I can, I can go for it. But I'm gonna go for it, you know. Lisa's not gonna. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> yes, <I'm- That's- laughs> We're gonna talk about like, decision making. Like, like, I've, I've got to show Lisa, like I, I, I can, be- I can do this. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, not a wimp. I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> so every move gets more committing. Like I'm like I. I, I step off this like little stance sure you're like stink
0: bugging now like yeah i'm like your back is arched and because you're slab climbing
1: like i like do one move and i like go okay i can maybe reverse that move and i do the next one and it gets worse i'm like okay i, a, I don't know if i can reverse that one but i'll keep going and then a couple moves later i'm like uh, you know i've got to make it now i'm like a hundred <laughs> feet up <laughs> like yeah, within like six inches of the, the the ledge i can see there's a ledge there's no holds at all. There's no handholds. And my feet are just on like these little smears. Uh Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, I'm going to dino for the ledge. That's a great decision. So so I I dino for it. It's all covered with sand, Uh you know, and I barely catch it and hold it. I'm like peddling my hands on this ledge, trying to get on it. And I'm blowing and wiping sand, trying to clear a place where I can mantle onto it. But Mm -hmm. All the sand is going down the slab under my shoes, right? So the more I clean it for my hands, the worse it gets for my feet because I have to run my feet up this slab. Right. And I finally, I'm kind of like, I quit cleaning. I'm like, my shoes are all covered with dirt now. And the ledge is still covered with sand. I'm like, barely on the rock. Like, a breeze could have just knocked me off. And I go for it and I get up there. Of course, I make it. I'm, I'm talking today. Right. <laughs> so I press out the mantle and get on top. And, and uh, that was that. Yeah. Came back. <laughs> Came back with the rope and bolted it, and, and uh, in the new guide, it's uh, you know it's not a hard route, but they rated it 10A.
0: Right, 10A like, on site, but the but you probably don't top out the dirt mantle. Probably anymore. not. No, I mean it's got to have no. An anchor it's been cleaned it, right? off. Yeah, and there's a exactly. bolt right there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that was a close call. I <laughs> only well, been married like a month. You know? Right. Yeah.
0: That's, that's awesome. <laughs> at least it would
1: have like I had no life insurance. That's at that all. Point yeah, your wife's just like yeah. I want to see you do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first safety tip. Don't right. like. Yeah. Don't like on site solo up a slab right. because a, a woman is like goading you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's many guys that would listen to that advice. So
0: um all right, well, yeah. let's get started here properly. Um sitting in the closet today and this is probably going to be the last closet show because uh I'm being evicted from uh, the house. So I'm gonna, we'll be in a new studio a next next time i think because yeah this will come out at the end of the month yeah so by the time uh, my next show comes out i'll have moved studios so. so if you guys have enjoyed the stories from the closet well just chalk it up as another era gone by at the Anormal cast um in the closet with me is Dwayne rally from uh rock and ice magazine and a local and um how long have you been publisher over there at rock and ice or how long have you owned rock and ice
1: uh, I've been part of Rock and Ice for 12 years. 12
0: years. 12. It's gone down. And you were working at Climbing before that.
1: Right. And I was the publisher of Climbing before that. I started at Climbing as the gear editor in 1990. Right. And then became the editor and then the publisher.
0: And what do you call yourself at Rock and Ice? I know you guys just banty, banty about these different names like associate editor and editor. and I don't know if I really call myself are, anything, anything. but <laughs> Yeah, I, I imagine I'm, a, I'm the publisher because okay. we,
1: we have to wear a lot of hats. We, right. We right. do copy editing and writing right. and photography and business plans and marketing and hire people and pay their rent. Sure, sure. Yeah. You so name it. Right. It's the way these those operations go for we, sure. We, we did finally get someone to clean the bathrooms. So really? I don't have to do that Just anymore. Just a
0: specific person or do you make Parker do it? <laughs>
1: Tell me, you make Parker do it. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't know he was available for doing that. But we 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 pay someone. He it, loves but, it. Uh, okay.
0: Um. Cool. Anyway, so you've been over there for a while, but let me. I, I actually want to get you in here for a full interview at, at some point. Um. I've been want. I want to do an interview with you, a proper interview about your life as a climber, because um. I've you know I've always known that you were a really accomplished climber and you've been climbing a long time, but. I think over the last couple of years in particular, I don't know why, but it seemed to come into my my purview that you' uh, that you've got this really vast range of experience and that you've sort of been around through a lot of different eras of climbing, you know, especially that article that you wrote, I think uh, just recently about Walt Shipley. Um, right. That, that was your article. right uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, that, that was a really ama- I, interesting article I'd met Walt years ago. And sort of, um, you know, he was one of the the sort of gurus of the valley when I was there. And, um, you know, to listen to your stories about Europe and that sort of thing sort of opened my eyes to kind of, I think, the expanse of of your experience. And, uh, you know, and it definitely warrants, I think, talking about your life as a climber. But today I brought you in because I wanted to talk to you about safety. Um, I know that you guys run a safety column at... Not a safety column, but an accident column. Right, Actually, the opposite right. Yes, of the safety. Right, uh-huh. Yeah, accidents. An accident report. Accident report monthly at Rock and Ice. You say you used to write that. Hefe writes it now, but of course you edit it. it. Comes across your desk. So I don't know. It just seemed like a good fit to talk a little bit about this.
1: Sure, sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably your man. I've made just about every mistake in right. the book, so yeah. I've learned the hard way, and but fortunately have uh, not had to. Pay too many consequences. Yeah, the
0: ultimate price, anyway. So, but real quick, so what, how, where did you start climbing? I, I don't I, want to get too deep into it. We'll <clears throat> save it for next time, but
1: um, just to get a little bit of a background. I grew up in Oklahoma. That's right. And everybody thinks Oklahoma's flat and dusty and windy, and it is. You know, it's everything you can, uh, it's stereotypical. But uh, I had the good luck of growing up in southwestern Oklahoma near the Wichita Mountains. Mm-hmm. There's actually a small chain of granite. Uh, they're really granite hills, kind of like Joshua Tree. Right. And, you know, Royal Robins climbed there, Corps climbed there. You know, it really has a long history. Right. And there's probably a thousand rock roots there. When, when I started climbing there in 1974, there weren't very many. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd go out and climb but, and be the only people out there. We never saw Donnie Hunt, my, my buddy and I, who taught ourselves to climb, and we probably climbed for three or four years and didn't even know other people climbed there. Right. And we finally saw some other people one day and we're like, wow, other people do this. We thought, sure. we thought it was just us. Right. And we, we we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, you know, I had a copy of uh, Robin's Advanced and Basic Rockcraft, mm-hmm. And he had a line in there about how people had, had experimented with using webbing as rope. I don't know why that's in the book, actually, mm-hmm. but somewhere in there it is. And ropes were expensive, so we went and got like 50 feet of one inch tubular webbing and used that as the rope.
0: Now, had he put it in there as something you shouldn't do or something that I, I, I read it as you right. should
1: do, but maybe, yeah, it seems you know, maybe he meant something else. Uh-huh. But but we got that and we, you know, we made our own protection. We took pieces of channel steel mm-hmm. and sawed them up into chunks and drilled through them and put boot lace in it, and those mm-hmm. were our chocks. We went to the hardware and bought some big, like. Twelve penny nails and right. some big spikes, tent stakes, and made a hammer out of a geologist's hammer. Right. And, you know. And that's that's what we did. We went out and belayed and banged in our nails and slotted those chalk things that never really they usually fell out. But, right. But that's how I learned to climb.
0: And hopefully you never fell. We did fall sometimes. Really?
1: Yep. And the boot
0: laces on the metal things held you? No, they didn't. Okay. <laughs> 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 all right, and yet here you are. There here I am. Here you are <laughs> sitting in my closet, after all.
1: Yeah, gear would pull the, the you know the shoestring would break, but it, it all worked out in the end, you know. <laughs> <laughs> after that, you know, it's all uphill. You know, people with modern gear have it easy.
0: <laughs> all right, let's get into that. So, I I sort of have this this uh, uh I guess it's a it's a long line of observation as well i've been climbing about probably half the time you have but still a solid 20 some years so you know and i was a guide for a long time and i've kind of noticed that there seems to be in my experience and you can sort of refute or uh, you know agree with this but that when you first learn to climb a lot of times if you're taught anyway unlike you who are out there just making making the shit up as you went which is is a way to learn how to climb but if you're taught how to climb at least in the very basic sense cuz I used to teach it all the time it seems that you know people are really excited to learn sort of the basic safety you know the basic idea of how to do everything exactly right you know like this is how you belay and you always keep your hand on this and you always use your good hand to belay and you always do this and you always tie in this way and you always do you know a lot of these sort of like Real set-in-stone rules is the way you learn just about anything, you know, whether it's—I was talking earlier about using guns, you know, or when my father gave me BB guns, he taught us, like, strict hunter safety kind of stuff. You know, this is the way you point it. This is—you always keep the safety on. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't keep it loaded. You know, all these sort of rules. And we don't necessarily understand why we're supposed to do those things. But we understand we're supposed to do those things. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of a very dogmatic way to learn how to do something, but it's almost necessary in the beginning.
1: Right. I think you have to have a teaching system. Right. You you have to have climbing A to Z and you have to have all the rules. Right. But climbing is really a simple sport. Sure. There are a few basic safety tips that everybody really needs to to learn and stick to them for the rest of their lives or their Mm -hmm. lives will be short. Right. And, And one of them is tying in correctly. Right. You know, uh, you, you mentioned that I edit accidents. Uh, you know, one of the re- recurring things in, in accidents where people get badly hurt or killed is they mistie their knots. Mm-hmm. You know, they – and usually it's the bowline. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, so send it to Jeff Jackson at uh, BigStonePub.com. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> you know, uh, I learned to climb with the bowline. learned that from Royal Robbins. Okay. And, you know, it's a great knot. But you have to tie it exactly right. It's also a kind of a complicated knot, and it's easy to tie it backwards. Mm-hmm. And if you tie it backwards, it just falls apart. Right. But when you when you tie it, it kind of looks like the bowline. And a lot of people say, yeah, I tie it, you know, and I tie the safety and, right. and this and that. But, but almost all of the knot accidents are with the bowline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't really know why we suspect it's because it's a complex knot. Visually, you can't really look at it and see if it's exactly right, especially if you're a beginner. Sure. You know, you look at it and go, yeah, that's how I do it. This rabbit, you know, does it come out of the hole and back in, or does <laughs> it go back in and out? Does exactly. it go around, around the tree or once or twice? You know, it's complicated. Well, and also there's variations people use. Yeah, there's the Yosemite finish. Sure. And there's the single right. bowline, the double bowline. Right. There's a lot of variations to that knot. And If you tie it exactly right and pull it up tight and finish it – with the Yosemite finish or whatever you want to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's still a good knot. It's easy to untie for sure if you mm-hmm. fall on it. But you got to think, if it's easy to untie, you know, it can untie itself. Right. Well, and that, it does.
0: That's that's the thing. And I don't use it. I mean, I, I don't get on my partner's cases for using it. My tagline here at the show, the last thing I usually try to remember to say, at first was sort of a cheesy joke. And now it actually, I think, has some weight to it i just tell people to check their knots that's the last thing i say at the show and the thing is is that i always i i actually am a knot checker i'm i'm adamant about checking my partner's knots even if i just ask them hey you're not good because it makes them look at it and that's the problem is i i always joke whenever somebody uses a bowline i go yeah i guess your knot's good i don't right. know i can't tell i hope you tied <laughs> it right because it's I
1: don't know. I have no idea. Well, you should check your knob, but you should tie right. in with the Trace 8. Right. That's what I recommend. And yeah, it's a little, you know, if you fall hard on it and on a small diameter rope, you got to work at it. You know, your hands are tired and it's a hassle, but... All right. But- we got to talk about that too, because that is the philosophy behind the bowline
0: is supposedly it's easier to untie, which, you know, also means it can undo itself more easily, but... I don't know. That doesn't seem to make any sense to other people, but let me say this about my figure eight knot, my trace eight, is I have never not been able to get out of that freaking knot.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, like we were laughing earlier. We're not walking around town with the harness and the rope still tied. Exactly. You know obviously like, what am I we, do? obviously we got untied somehow. Somehow we got the knot loose. Right. And here's the thing
0: about the using the trace eight. It is all you need to do to keep it from getting tight when you fall is snug it up as much as you can beforehand. Because what I theorize about the super snug knot is that you've left a little space in so you get a dynamic cinching when you fall on it. So the the more of the cinching you take out of it ahead of time results in a knot that you can actually get undone after repeated falls. Because let me tell you, I have fallen repeatedly I do it all the time on a figure eight knot and I can get it undone no problem. Well that's a good tip. I'll have to try that. <laughs> no seriously. I found that like <laughs> yeah. if you're kind of sloppy and like leave a little space in it, if you can imagine when you fall that creates more dynamic sure. movement as it and then it cinches itself down really tight. It's a theory. I, I don't have I haven't put it to the test in the lab. Well, it
1: sounds like it works, you know.
0: Yeah, maybe calling up at, at Black Diamond can can test this theory for me. It I don't know, it makes sense to me, so. But
1: well, you know there's that saying see if I can get it right not need knots need not be knotted try it again not need knots need not be knotted <laughs> okay so all you beginners out there <laughs> memorize that mm-hmm. <laughs> well here's
0: but, the thing too is is about about the knots and about checking knots is cuz I I kind of was looking at this show and I'm like well this is kind of maybe a beginner topic but then I started thinking about it I'm like no actually again, I'd like to say that when it's the, it's, it's later on in your career that you make all these changes and I think you start to skip steps and checking knots and tying knots correctly is something for everybody, you know? And the truth is, is we, is we usually, when we learn to belay, you know, we're told like, check each other's knots, say on belay, off belay, you know, climbing, climbing, we learn those rules. And then we, we stopped doing them because they're uncool, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's probably what it is. It's like, well, I don't need to check you, bro. Like, you're good. I'm good. But there's a point at which a lot of climbers stop doing those basic things you learned in the beginning. And I did, but I've started doing them again. I've started checking that freaking knot because to have climbers who you know fuck up their knots and hit the ground after years of climbing... It's like, it's just such a simple thing, you know?
1: Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, I climb a lot with Hefe, and we both, we've climbed together for 20, probably 25 years, maybe longer. And we don't go, hey, check my knot. But when he's tying in and when I'm tying in, we you know, we watch each other. That's it. And, you know, we don't have to have this, like, check system like check my knot and, right right you know I, I just watch when he ties in and before he starts climbing i look and i go okay his knot's right yeah and i check the belay you know i make i make sure just the other day i had the degree reloaded backwards i do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> but but i always test it you know before he starts right. climbing i pull on the rope and i sure. look you know i look on the little engraving on the side plate and make sure okay the climber that's him and i do that every time and you know there are some mistakes you can make in climbing and get away with that's one of them but, actually if you keep your hand on it yeah, actually, uh, you know, I blamed my wife that way once and lowered her, and it was <laughs> didn't have a glove on. But yeah, you're right; you can do it, but it's not not recommended. No, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the fatal mistake It's going to have to be a, one of those those disclaimers at the beginning of this. Messing anyway. up your knot, you know, that's something you can't do. Right, it, you know, if you get that wrong, nothing else in the system is going to work.
0: Well, I've gotten, you know, I've put this on the Facebook page, and you know, there's there's like these little mini discussions that ensue, and some people actually and I, it goes back to this idea that it's like sort of uncool. They feel as though when they say, you know, when they're, they're real adamant about checking knots with, with partners that maybe they, they're not real familiar with. Like let's say in the gym, they feel kind of dorky or they sort of maybe even get attitude from the, from the person. First thing I'd say is anybody gives attitude for that, like take them off the list. But the second thing is, is yeah, again, you're not like, you don't have to reach out and like make them face you and like, Hold the knot in your hand, or anything like that. And one of the things I usually do, if I've sort of forgotten, like as my partner leaves the ground, I ask them. I say, "Hey, dude, you are not good," and they're just like they look down and they say, "Yeah," and that's the end of the end of the story, you know. It's, and and that works for the bowling as well because all I've done is make them look at it, right? And I have yet to do one where they say, "Oh shit," and they come down and and fix it. But someday it's gonna happen, and they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, look, I screwed it up," or whatever. And it's going to work. The other thing I'd like to say is that for me that when I do that, it also sends me down this little mini like quick, you know, millisecond mental checklist of everything else. Because when I say, hey, is you're not good? And they look down, I inevitably look down at my belay and double check it. You know, it's just pulling on it and, you know, glancing at the, the lock on the beaner. You know, it's just like – it makes me to come into the moment to say he's leaving the ground or leaving the belay or whatever. Here's, you know, a three second thing where I'm going to go boom, boom, boom and check everything and then relax again. You know?
1: Well, that's a good tip. Yeah.
0: So check your knot, use the trace. But you know, the other thing when I was emailing you about the show, I mentioned, you know, it's like I didn't want to get into this like super heavy, like this is how you do things. And we're, you know, all the good boy scouts and we, you know, we follow sort of safety stuff, but you know, getting into what it means to be safe and that sort of philosophy. The truth is, is that we end up doing a lot of things in the end that probably are technically unsafe.
1: Right. You know, I, I think, uh, especially when you're getting started, started climbing mm-hmm. that you rely on gear too much, mm-hmm. you know, mod- modern, climbing gear, modern being, you know, anything since I started climbing is, uh, you know, it's really overbuilt, like, Cams are super strong. Ropes are strong. Carabiners are strong, and people really rely on their gear. They're like, "Well, I, I can fall, and this is going to hold." But if you don't use it right, and if you're overly, if you have too much faith in it, right, you know, it can fail. You know, a good example was in nineteen, I think it was nineteen seventy-eight or nineteen seventy-nine. I was still was still a pretty green climber, you know, with with Donnie. <laughs> We, <laughs> right. you know, we, we had given up on the, the channel iron, you know, for sure. protection. That was probably good. And, and yeah. friends had just come out and there was this new clean climbing ethic and we had some pens, you know, we got from REI for like a dollar a piece. Right. Like, okay, we don't want to use those anymore. We're going to climb clean. Cause that was the cool thing. And Robbins was talking about clean climbing and Doug Robinson, you know, he was pushing it. Sure. And I saw there was this new route in the Wichita's I wanted to do. It was a nice crack. It went up about 30 feet and then out a roof. And it traversed under this roof for like 20 feet and then went up out over the this face. I couldn't really see what was over the roof, you know, how roofs are. And I look up there and I go, okay, I can probably do this. And I look, look down on my rack and I have a number one friend. Friends had just come out and they were $20 a piece. So I only had one because we were poor. And I was like, okay, well, I can, I can put this friend under the roof probably. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like maybe a number one, but I don't know. I've never placed one. So I climb up to the roof. I put the friend in, you know, it stays in, you know, I retract it and put it in and it's in there. I'm like, okay, that's, that's good. This thing is going to work.
0: You mean, you mean the friend didn't come with like a fold out, like multi diagram with little people, like little cartoon people showing you how to place it and all that stuff. No, it was a different world back then.
1: (laughs) There were, there were no labels. There was no packaging. There were no instructions. You know, just assume that you knew how to climb. Like only serious climbers would, would buy a camera. The lawyers hadn't jacked everything up yet. (laughs) Right. So I placed the friend. It was actually a perfect pen placement. When I placed it, I was like, "This would be a good, like, half inch angle placement or three quarter inch angle." But I had the friend, so I put that in. Sure. And I climb over the roof, or I traverse. Actually, you traverse under the roof before you climb over it. And I traversed. I'm like 15 feet out to the right of this friend, and I have to turn the roof. And I kind of hesitate. I look back at the friend. I'm like, because it's the only piece, right? Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that thing's gonna work. Right. Of course it is. And I climb over the roof and the wall above is like blank. And I look up at it, it just keeps going. I don't see any holes. I'm like, I can probably make it, but it's all covered with the lichen too. I'm like scratching the lichen off with my fingers. Now I'm starting to get really concerned and super pumped too. And I finally think, you know, I get about five feet above the roof. Like, I better go back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I better get back to that friend and down climb as fast as I can. And right as I had that thought, I, I pinged off. And I took an airfall out the lip of the roof and pulled that friend right out, and landed on the ground at the base of Donnie's, uh, right by Donnie's feet, and broke my ankle. Oh, man. So I had to hop on one foot like five miles to the car. <laughs> no, that was one of the few times I've ever been hurt. That was the first time I've ever placed a, a cam. But my point is, I, I relied on it 100. Right. Thought it, I thought it was magical, and as I learned that day, it you know, cams aren't. Right. And I don't know if I placed it incorrectly or, you know, what happened. But ever since then, I've I've learned really not to rely on just one piece of gear in a critical situation. Did you go back and do the route? I did. I went back. I was in a cast for almost a year. And as soon as I got the cast off and didn't have to hobble around on crutches, I went back in and and climbed the route. But I drove like a a big fat one inch angle into that placement. I might have put two in there and they're still still there. And how did you send it? I did. Nice. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, th- one of the
0: mm-hmm. things that I was going to say in terms of, of my little sort of safety tips, other than checking the knots, which we talked about, but and this is, again, like a philosophical thing almost. Um, I don't want to get too broad, but one of the things I, I, I used to counsel my clients was, in the end, if you never fall, you're never going to n- need to know whether that gear was good. Now, I'd often ask them, I'd say, you know, when we were sort of in a clinic or we've been working together for a few days or whatever. And it was a trick question. I'd say, what is the one thing that's going to keep you from hitting the ground? You know, and they'd always go to rope. The rope's going to keep me from hitting the ground. I'd be like, well, yes and no. It depends. You know, your gear stays in. Yes. If your gear comes out, no. You know, what's really the thing that's going to keep you from hitting the ground? And finally, I'd sort of like lead them down the path and that sort of holy teacher way of tricking them into saying the wrong thing. And then I'd finally be like your climbing ability, your climbing ability, your ability to hang onto the rock is going to be what 90% of the time, 95% of the time for some people, even more depending on how hard they push themselves is going to be the actual thing that keeps you from falling and hitting the ground. Not the friends, not the nuts, not your rope, not your belayer. But if you've up that route and never fall, you're good to go. Now, Again, everybody's going to be like, "Well, how do you push yourself or how do you get better at climbing?" But I'm just saying like in the end, if you get into a tough situation like you were climbing over that roof and you get up there, there's a point at which you can just say to yourself, "Well, I'm a I'm I'm well within my ability. I'm a good climber. I can do this."
1: Right. You know, you know the lesson I uh, I learned two lessons that day. One was, don't rely on gear 100%. Right. But the second part of that was I should have kept climbing. <laughs> you no, know, I, I got even more. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, right. Well, exactly. I, I doubted myself. I was really pumped, and if I'd have kept going, because when I came back and did the route, I, you know, I, I found out I'd already done the crux. Right. It wasn't that hard above. Actually, right. holds did appear, and if I'd have just pushed myself and kept, you know, you don't always want right. to do that, right? But uh, I think uh, a big part of being safe is is really trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I doubted myself. I looked up and the rock looked like unclimbable to me mm-hmm. and I didn't have that much experience. I couldn't really read the rock that well. And, it, you know, I just got scared mm-hmm. and turned back. And I think if I'd have been confident and kept going, I'd have been fine. But I, you know, I chickened out and went back and fell. And, and part of that also is knowing when you can fall, mm-hmm. you know, if you're at rifle and you're doing, you know, a, a bolted route and there's a bolt every eight feet, okay, it's probably all right to fall almost anywhere. You know, maybe you'll hit the lip of a roof or you'll hit a slab or something. But you you have to analyze that as you climb. But if you're placing gear, I think uh, a good rule is, you know, never fall. Especially if you're a beginner, because, uh, you know, as I learned, you know, you just don't know with with cams. You know, it takes a lot of experience to be able Mm -hmm. to place them right and know when they're going to hold. And especially with nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, nuts definitely aren't magical. You have to have a good placement. But if you, know, if you use your gear right, uh, you know it's there for a backup. It's not there to take repeated whippers on, especially if you're just getting started climbing.
0: Sure. Well, and we're in this era that's different from even when I started climbing, which this is like where the little bell goes off the, to, to, uh, to signal the back in the day part of the show. So back in the day, as you were, you know, it really was this philosophy of at least as a beginner – you're going to you're you're not going to just jump out on lead on stuff that's way too hard for you you know you you sort of okay i I've, I've been climbing a lot of 58 you know i'm i've been doing a lot of different styles and so i think i'm probably ready for this next route like you know a 59 or whatever there seems to be this like accelerated path these days these days that sounds really old but of like just jumping right into some really hard climbing and I you know it's definitely an effect of the gyms it's definitely an effect of sport climbing but to just be jumping out on the sharp end on some really hard routes like you know I don't know that I took a leader fall you know for for a couple few years when I first started climbing I was following a lot I was top roping a lot and the things I was leading were sort of well within my ability because I just felt like I'm going to work my way up through the grades. Is that like the perfect philosophy? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a personal choice. But the truth is, is that by the time I started whipping onto my gear, I had not just placed a lot, but I had also cleaned a lot. I had cleaned a lot of gear from from more experienced climbers. So I, I started to have a really good feel for what a good placement looked like, whether it was a nut or a cam or anything else. And, you know, by the time I was actually falling on my gear, I'd probably cleaned or placed hundreds, if not thousands of placements.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's a really good point. You know, climb with someone who's better than you, someone who has more experience and follow them and take out the gear. And you can also top rope, you know, you can place cams and you can, you know, one, one really good way to, to learn how well gear will hold is just to place it and clip an eight to it and, and jump on it and bounce on it and see if it's good, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's not a true, you know, true test. That's a body weight test from aid climbing. But, uh, you know, also not that aid climbing is in, you know, it's not in vogue anymore, but back in the day, you know, it was super popular. You (laughs) know, we'd go and bang our way up L cap, but that's really how I, I learned what would hold and what wouldn't was aid climbing. Sure. Because you, you know, you place a piece every three feet and you have to get on it. Right. And you balance test it and you get on it. So you learn pretty quickly. You know what's a good cam placement and what's not a good one, and and uh, you know how to set nuts and how to use opposition. You know that's
0: interesting. I'd never actually connected that, but of course I did a ton of that as well. Because I again going back to what I said earlier, like a lot of those placements I placed in the beginning, I never knew what they could have done because I never weighted them and never fell on them. I just clipped them and kept climbing, and my partner took them out. So for all I know, they were all great, or or they all sucked. I could have ripped the whole. Yeah, You pitch. could have been soloing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I think a lot of early leaders are actually free soloing, and they just don't know it. Which goes back to the relying on the gear thing. Like that rope is, it is a part of the whole system, but it's not necessarily a sure thing yeah, from keeping yeah. you off the ground.
1: You know, most people when they're starting climbing, they they're really cautious because we don't actually edit that many reports of people getting hurt because they're gear pulled. Right. You know, it's the not coming undone, and it's repelling off the end of their rope, or being lowered off the end of their rope because their rope's too short. Okay. You know, those are probably number one and number two. Well, I wanted to ask you killers that. and cripplers of right, climbers, climbers about
0: trends that you see. So you're saying the not coming undone, which we talked about, and
1: then wrapping off the end of the rope, is or it, yeah, or lowering or off. being usually off if the end you wrap of the off the end of the rope, you're going to die. Sure. And lowering is more forgiving, even though you don't still don't want to lower someone off the end of the rope, but usually you're within you're ten to close. twenty meters right. of the ground, so you're not in a you know you're not gonna die, sure, but repelling if you repel off the end of the your rope, usually you're going to a station somewhere on a wall mm-hmm. and that's completely unforgiving right so the you know the ways to prevent those are first know the length of your rope. You know, mm-hmm. people cut the rope short when they get worn, or they buy the rope and they don't pay attention to how long it is, or they don't know how long the the pitch is, mm-hmm. or how high up the lowering station is. They might think the station's at thirty meters and it's at thirty-five meters, mm-hmm. and they have a sixty-meter rope. So right away they have a problem. You know, the way to really safeguard against wrapping off your rope or lowering off is just to knot the end of the rope. Right. You know, it's simple. It's so simple. If everybody would tie in with the trace eight, check their knot. And tie a knot in the end of the rope, that, that would probably eliminate 80 or 90% of the rock climbing accidents right there. That's and, simple. And time and again, you know, if you read Rock and Ice, you know, it's a recurring theme, and we actually get tired of editing those pieces. But sure. We keep writing them because we realize that people are entering the sport every year and they've never uh-huh. read, uh, you know, read about knotting the end of the rope. And also, there's a lot of experienced climbers who just don't do it. You know, right. I go out all the time with people, and they're like, I'm not going to knot the end of the rope because. It's going to jam in a crack in the rock. I'm like, well, what's up with that? You know, I've been climbing for 40 years. It's never happened to me. Right. You know, The knot's never jammed. Yeah, if you try to pull the rope through a station and you have a knot in the end, you've yeah, you've got a problem it yeah. because it's going to jam in the anchor for sure. sure. So you have to remember to untie it. But it's just not that big a deal. If people would knot the ends of their ropes, a big source of accidents would just be Eliminate it overnight.
0: Well, I started quite a few years ago. I started uh, backing my my rappels up almost a hundred percent of the time with with the uh, with the climb heist off the leg loop. <coughs> right. Style. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is is it does not protect you from wrapping off the end of the rope. It's only a partial protection. It protects you from letting go of the brake hand, or if you need to stop and do something. Is mainly the reason I do it is because a lot of times when you throw your ropes for the first time. You get down there and they're tangled up, and you have to stop and undo them. And it's easy to do that with the climb heist backup on the
1: brake hand. But you can still zip right off the end of the rope. Yeah, that's exactly right. About yeah. uh, probably about eight or nine or ten years ago at Rock and Ice, uh, I did a column called "Climb Safe," mm-hmm. and I wanted to see, you know, if rappel backups would actually work. And right. they, they work just as you just as you discussed. If you're rappelling and you want to stop. Mm-hmm. Your, or if you get attacked by killer bees. <SS> your shirt like, gets caught in your right. device or something. You need to free it. Yeah, you can lock up your 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 Prusik or Clem Heist or Jumar, whatever you're using, mm-hmm. and, and fix the problem and keep going. But as part of that test, I wanted to see if it would work for wrapping off the end of your rope. And, you know, so I hung a rope in a tree, and the rope was maybe five feet short of the ground. I put some crash pads down, and I rigged a bunch of different backups. One went through, you know, to the leg loop, to the belay loop, above the device, below the device, with the Jumar, with the Prusik, with the Klim Heist, and I just wrapped off the end of the rope. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: must but, have been terrifying. It was, first. even though you're, you're like, yeah, I mean, six even, feet up. Even but though you're in a controlled it, situation, <laughs> like every fiber in your climbing body does not want you to wrap off the end of that fucking rope. Like you must. I mean, the first couple of times must have been really freaking.
1: It was. It, you know. <laughs> but but then you got used to it. It failed a hundred percent of the time.
0: Really? Like even a, a prussic above never the device? worked. It never was It's too quick.
1: It's too quick. Couldn't cinch like the in the time. end comes up and it's through your device. And right. I mean, it happens in a, a hundredth of a second. It you doesn't. You, you have no chance.
0: Right. Because those they take a second to. You to have cinch. to let go of them.
1: Right. You don't, your reaction time, at least mine isn't, you know, it's right. not fast enough to let go.
0: Right. Cause you're, even with a Jumar, you've, your, your thumb is keeping the cog open.
1: Yeah. And your instinct is to squeeze, uh, you know, it's not to release. Sure, so sure. you go right off the end of the rope. Right,
0: and Grigory's rope will go right through him if you happen to be wrapping on a single yep. line.
1: Yeah. So there is, there is no backup for going off the end of your rope other than to knot the end of the rope. That works 100% of the time. Sure. Sure.
0: Okay. And, and also like you can read and you can look at, Advice on which knot to use, and I generally see people saying, like, the best sort of stop or knot is, like, a fisherman's. But the truth is, is even a simple overhand will probably, you know, work just fine if it's if it's got, like, even the tiniest tail on it. But what would you say is the best knot to throw on the end of your rope?
1: I usually tie just an overhand. Yeah.
0: Just an overhand with a little bit of a tail. Right. I just tie a knot. Yeah. I don't you know, know what it's called. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's, that's a good one. And then, and also, you know, when we were talking about, um, again, whether this is sort of a show for beginners or, or for advanced climbers or for intermediate climbers. And I think it's for everybody because again, I see a lot of this like basic stuff just gets sort of blown off. Like you've survived getting lowered, you know, a thousand times without a knot in the end of the rope, like. Do you really need to dig through your rope bag and put that and make sure that knot's in there? Well, I guess we're trying to convince you that you do. But the other big thing I see break down that has to do with this lowering thing is, you know, to quote Led Zeppelin, the communication breakdown. Oh, sure. That has to
1: be in that in those trends. Maybe not as high as wrapping off the end of your rope, but that'd be number a uh, close number three. Right. There's miscommunication between the the blayer and the climber? Sure. And, and oh, go ahead. And typically the way that happens is, you know, the the climber, the leader starts climbing and assumes that he or she is going to be lowered. And the belayer assumes that the, the leader is going to repel. Mm-hmm. So the, the leader gets up to the, the anchor station and takes to lower. Mm-hmm. And the belayer takes the person off belay. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when the, the leader leans back on the rope, he just falls right to the ground. Right. And that, that happens often.
0: Right. I mean, it, it and, seems
1: to happen multiple times a year that I've
0: heard of. Yeah, that's really a
1: new phenomenon from sport climbing. Sure. Like back in the old trad days, that didn't happen because, A, you didn't take and lower. You right. climbed, climbed to the top and walked down like a man, right? <laughs> <laughs> or a woman. <laughs> You're not lowering off El Cap. <laughs> right. <laughs> take, I'm tired. Sure.
0: Or or uh, you at uh, least but, set up, brought your partner up and repelled.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of preventions for that. One is just communicate. Like, oh, you know, before you head up, go, okay, you're going to lower me, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't start leading until you get confirmation that, yeah, you're going to be lowered. Sure. And the other part, too, that is, and something I do anyway, even if I'm being lowered, is when I get to the anchor and I clip in, then I, I'll chain a couple of quick draws together. And I'll put one on my belay rappel loop, and I'll clip it to the anchor. Mm-hmm. And then I'll watch the rope and make sure it's pulled tight. Sure. And I'll test the rope. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of a, a rough test because your quick draws are short. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, the rope might pull tight mm-hmm. or might not. And you don't know for sure. But, the, you know, that that's a good test. You can kind of tell if you're on tension from the from your belayer. Sure. And the other thing I do, once I unclip my little imp- improvised daisy chain to the anchor, I hold on to the lowering side of the rope. Mm-hmm. And I actually lower myself a few feet until I feel the the rope come tight. Then I let go, and, but not until. And I do that every single time. I, I don't just go take and jump onto the rope, right? And, I, and that's the thing, Dwayne. That that
0: because you know, um, back way back on one of the sort of most popular episodes of of this podcast has been Craig Martino's episode, and you probably know Craig. He had a a, a horrible accident out on lumpy Ridge and ended up losing his leg. And this, this was the crux of it. He thought he was going to get lowered. Didn't, you know, communicated something. The belayer thought he said, well, basically he said, okay, or, or some one word thing. And the belayer thought, okay, I'm, I'm headed up the route now behind him. He leaned back and to think about it all and not to criticize anybody who's, this has happened to, because we call them accidents because, obviously you know shit broke down and in and, and we all we all have done it but the series of of things that you kind of ignore leading to this like like not waiting even just to feel the tension come on the rope from the other side like to just sort of like unclip zing zing and lean back without some sort of sensory input of like feeling that rope come tight and pull your harness and I don't know. It just seems like there's so many things that broke down there of awareness of the situation that it's really tragic in that, you know, you had to really have kind of gotten way too comfortable with the situation maybe or or been way too outside of kind of what you're doing in terms of awareness, because it just feels like, you know, like just that, like waiting to feel the harness come tight on the rope before you unclip and lean back. Might be enough to have have saved a bunch of these accidents.
1: Yeah, very likely. You know, and I, I think you know to illustrate that the other day I was climbing mm-hmm. with Hefe, and there were other rope teams around us, mm-hmm. and they were yelling their commands and taking sure. and lowering and, and and I really couldn't tell when you know Hefe was talking and when another belayer next to him sure. was yelling up to his leader and. and so, the, you know, that that's another case of when I, you know, when I went to lower, I was like, well, you know, I yelled down to Hefe, you know, I yelled take. And, only, and I only ever used the same commands mm-hmm. every time. I, I One day I don't say take, and the next day I don't yell down, okay, I'm going to lower. Sure. You know, I, I just use one word, take. And I hear Hefe down there yell back up, gotcha, you know. And then I feel the rope come tight, and I unclip my daisy chain, mm-hmm. and I lower. And especially when there's other teams around, and they're also yelling, you know, you can confuse what... They're saying with what your belayer is saying. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you really need to rely on yourself. You know, use the commands, but but definitely double-check everything and make sure the rope's tight and hold on to the rope yourself. Right. And, you know, kind of self-lower the first 5 or 10 feet before you're absolutely sure that, that your belayer is lowering you.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it's not obviously recommended in advanced rock craft, but the truth is, is even on an overhanging root, with the, with the friction through the anchor most of us could lower ourselves just using our hands uh, by holding onto that. Well, I guarantee rope.
1: you could, if you look down and your Blair didn't have the other end. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, holding onto that You'll rope. bite, bite into hand, that rope if you have to.
0: You don't have to hold a thousand <clears throat> pounds or whatever. It's just, it's half your body weight right. basically. Yep. So, and, and with all the friction in the beaners, it's probably even less than that. And most of us could probably hold ourselves up there with one hand, no problem. So that's a little bit of a, of a, a quick little easy way to do it but expanding on that theme of communication one of the things that i've always preached is shut up and only use the commands that you absolutely have to use and whenever i'll say this whenever i like you know if i'm descending into the black like on the sob and down to and i and i hear all this chatter on the walls people yelling all these different things back and forth to each other it makes me really uncomfortable because I'm just like, every time you say yell an unnecessary thing, and the Black Canyon is really famous because the, the the sound of the river muffles everything, and it's not terribly loud, but it feels like it's 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 like a phase thing that just wipes, you know, it's like a low bass that just wipes out everything, and it's really hard to hear, and so if you're yelling back all this inconsequential information, you're just setting up a someone to hear the wrong thing and to take you off belay when they thought that, because, you know, you said, I'm okay. And they heard off belay and whatever. So I I always preach like use as few as signals as possible. And what you just said about take gotcha. I've heard, and I've debated this with other people, like getting to the anchor and someone saying I'm in straight.
1: See, I don't even know what that means.
0: Exactly. Well, what it means is that I am on the anchor but it's completely irrelevant information. And I've, I've counseled people and they've gotten mad at me. And I'm just like, you don't need to tell them that. Because basically all you're saying is that I'm no longer climbing. I'm going to hang here and, and, and tie through or whatever I have to do to get through this anchor. But what you've essentially done is told your belayer they can stop paying attention. Now, if they're a smart belayer, they know to keep you on belay. But you've you've at least released them to go like dig in their pack or because they suddenly go oh she's clipped to the or he's clipped to the anchor I can chill and there's no reason to say it just ask for slack which is what you might do in the middle of the pitch anyway if you need a little bit of rope tie through and and say take you know like I'm a real big fan of like getting rid of all the unnecessary noise you know like I I see that. Those diagrams that communication majors will will show you about communication, there's like wavy lines going between the people and they talk about distortion of the message and any extra stuff is distortion of the message and you don't need it. It's the chatty Cathy's that end up getting everything super confused. Uh, So I'm I'm a big fan of just like, keep it tight. Don't talk during the climbing more than you
1: need to. Yeah, that's a great point. And I don't know if it's because Hefe and I are both part Choctaw, but when we climb, we really don't talk. <laughs> Maybe we get enough of that Some at work. and knowing looks. Uh, yep. And that's enough. <laughs> to... If you're playing, we just feed out slack. If you're climbing, you just climb until right. you're done and you you yell take and, you know, you lower. And right. That's, that's kind of it. You know? Yeah, that's kind of it. Exactly. He, he, you know, we, we do other use other commands like clipping. Sure. You know, which I think is important. Uh, you know, especially sport climbing, mm-hmm. like repetitively clipping bolts. Sure. Because we don't, you know, if you're out at the crag, you know, it's really hard to watch the leader the whole time. Sure. You know, it hurts your neck, you're looking up, you're craning around, your neck gets sore. The steeper the crag, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually watch each other climb very much. So we, re- we rely on, you know, clipping. Mm-hmm. When, throw when, when I out. hear clipping, you know, I feed slack out. Sure. And, you know, other than clipping and take, that's... You know, we can climb all day, and that's all we say. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny, It's actually, a sim- cause simple relationship. Because,
0: <laughs> yeah, my girlfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends of past have always, like, so what did you guys talk about today while you are climbing? I'm like, I don't know nothing. Well, is, is Rob and blah, blah, blah doing this or doing that next weekend? Uh, I don't actually know. <laughs> well, what did you guys talk about? <laughs> I don't remember, like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we were climbing. Yes, exactly. So, you know, one thing I also just insist on doing is, is you know, just saying, hey, you got me. It's not like on belay, off belay, you know, climbing, climb on, all those sorts of little set signals. All those, they're great. But, you know, one last little thing I'd say with that communication is that, you know, checking to make sure your belayers on point is all it is. Because if I say, hey, you got me to any of my good partners, they will glance down one more time to make sure they got the rope through the gree properly, Mr. Rally. They've glanced down to make sure they didn't clip into their leg loop or some other screwed up place on their harness. Just a half a millisecond. If I say, you got me, they look down and check and they go, yeah, I got you. And that's all we do before I leave the ground. And, you know... It's just another one of these things that puts us on point to say we're, we're, we're climbing right at this moment, and we're going to just focus in for a second
1: here, you know? Sure. Yeah, and Hefe and I do that too. Sure. I guess I was lying earlier when I said we just say three words. Maybe yeah. we say five. Right. But we, we, we do. We always say, got me. And then the belayer, whoever that is, always goes, gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm the belayer, I always jerk on the leader side of the rope to make sure my device is threaded properly. And if it doesn't lock up, then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And, you know, this happens once a month probably. Mm-hmm. I climb three or four or five times a week. Right. So, you know, and I, I do make that mistake and it and I catch it. Right. You know, if we didn't go through that process and if I got to the anchor to lower, it'd be a fast lower. Sure. I guess
0: I would assume number four on our list of, of things that go wrong has to be misuse
1: of a Grigri. There's, that's got to be in, in there somewhere. Am I wrong? You know, we don't get many of those because I think those are they're accidents, but they're, people aren't injured. Okay. Because it still kind of works if you do load it backwards. Sure. So sure. I think it's just, you know, there's just enough there that people don't break their legs. Mm-hmm. And maybe they do, but we don't hear about it.
0: Well, I'm sure if we if we uh, interviewed gym managers, they could go, I mean, I know this from working at a gym, they could go on and on about near if not serious accidents near serious accidents because Grigri's either you know back to that idea of relying on your gear too much like oh these are no hand devices or these you know are fail safe devices which petzel will tell you right off the bat in their their wonderful diagram is they are not no hand devices they you know tend to get used that way but they're they're not designed that way set them up backwards and then the other big one is 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 being a little too uh, pushy with that lowering device, and that's in a short wall in a gym. When I worked in the gyms in L.A., you know that was the thing we always heard about. The person's on top of a thirty-foot wall. The Blair goes to lower them and opens that thing, and before they know it, they're laying on the ground next to them. Not usually not a fatal injury in a in a gym, but often broken bones.
1: Right. You know that gets back to you know your instinct is to you know, if you're squeezing or pulling right. and there's something going on, you're falling or your partner's falling to keep doing that. You know, it's hard to let go because <clears throat> you don't want to let go. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that much about gym climbing. I've climbed a lot of mm-hmm. gyms, but I haven't been really been around accidents. We don't see that many. I know. I know they happen. Maybe gyms keep that quiet. <laughs> <laughs> this is completely safe. <laughs> no, are, are, are we off the record? Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you're, you're right. Uh, a Grigri is, you know, it's only as smart as the user. You have to mm-hmm. pay attention. You have to load the rope right. You need to check it. You have to get a feel for how the rope feeds through it and how the, you know, how much friction you get with a certain rope, like different treatments on a rope. Some are slick and some sure. aren't. So if you have a new rope or you have your partner's rope, you know, it's going to, it's going to break differently in a Grigri mm-hmm. and you have to just kind of, kind of test that and get a feel for it. And I always wear a glove too. Yeah. For one, it keeps my hands clean from the rope, but but also I don't burn my hand right. know, if I have to do a, a fast lower. Sure, or, or yeah, not, some- not I don't have to do the fast lower, but
0: maybe I want to. Yeah, because <laughs> your partner was pissing you off for some reason. But one last little little thing I want to talk about, and and unfortunately, I mean we could probably spend the whole hour on it, but is our helmets, and this is this is the one thing you know like. Where everybody knows in all situations, probably 100%, that it's probably safer to have a helmet on than not have a helmet on. Helmets, when you and I started climbing, you started climbing, and then uh, 20 years later almost I started climbing, were burdensome, a pain in the ass, made your head feel huge, were heavy. They are no longer like that, although they do extend your cranium a little bit, which is a little awkward sometimes hitting your head. But the debate, you know, there is really no debate. I don't think about, you know, whether this knots better, that knot's better. There is really, I mean, wearing a helmet is better is safer than not wearing a helmet period.
1: Right. I'd say hundred percent of the time, like yes. you really have no good reason to not wear a helmet. Sure. You know, it's a fashion thing. It's an sure. eco eco thing. You know, it's not a hassle to to put a helmet on, and yet, and yet almost nobody wears a helmet. You know, you go to rifle, and you on a busy day, you might not see a single person wearing a helmet.
0: Well, with. actually, the interesting thing, I guess, going back to the start of this podcast, is where you'll
1: see the people wearing helmets is on the beginner wall. Yeah, you're you're taught to wear a helmet right. at the gym, but as you learn what's fashionable, right? You know, you stop wearing the helmet. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, I can see why, you know, I, I learned to I, I climbed for a long time without a helmet. I mostly wear one now. I wear one absolutely all the time if I'm mixed climbing or alpine climbing or mm-hmm. ice climbing. Mm-hmm. Definitely wear a helmet. You know, there's rock fall and there's ice fall and you're crazy if you don't wear a helmet. Rock climbing, you know, it depends on the area. If it's loose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the you definitely want to wear a helmet. Actually I'll back up and I'll say definitely always wear a helmet all the time but uh, you know there have, are have limitations a lot of people think that you know if I have a helmet I'm safe I'm doing the right thing mm-hmm. you know if I fall and hit my head you know I'm gonna be okay but uh, I'd say probably not because uh, helmets are designed for things falling and hitting you on the head that's how they test them sure they're, they're built for top impact mm-hmm. you know they when they when they test a the helmet they put it on like a dummy head and they drop the drop this big steel cone onto the top of the helmet sure and that's how they test them so if you're out climbing and a big steel cone hits you on the top of the helmet it's going to perform great <laughs> if you fall and hit the side of your head right on the wall or at the lip of a roof hit your forehead on the lip of a roof in a swinging fall the helmet's not going to do anything right most most helmets don't even cover your foreheads and they don't come down very far over the sides either mm-hmm. if you look they look like little monks caps you know, sure they, they sit right on top that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to protect your head from, from rock fall, from mm-hmm. ice fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily designed for protecting your head for when you fall. Mm-hmm. But it's still worth wearing them because they they do help. You know, for sure.
0: Right? Well, yeah, it certainly can't hurt to have even a little bit of something between your head. But and the you, rock. you
1: could get lured into a false sense. You know, you're out leading, you're getting run out, and you know, a helmet makes you feel safer. Sure. You know, admittedly, I wear a helmet. I feel safer.
0: Well, i I'm not going to come down definitively on this one. That's kind of why I brought it up last other than to say that obviously it's safer. But again, I mean, I'm not going to preach because I don't wear them all the time. I wear them in the black Canyon known for loose rock, tend to not wear them sport climbing. In fact, I never do. And you know, and then there's this like gray area in between where sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. However, it is this thing about, I mean, it's kind of like the motorcycle helmet argument, like feeling the wind in your hair or whatever it's the same sort of thing in climbing, whether it's fashion or whether it's just not wanting to feel that extra bulk because you do tend to hit it on things because you have this sense of how big your head is and, and you've added an inch to it or, or sometimes more. In the past, it was like with the Joe Brown, it was like three or four inches to the top of your <laughs> It was like head. where it, Frankenstein's head. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I just kind of wanted to bring it up. I mean, it's definitely the thing in climbing where we're one of those willful places where, we most of us are willfully not being as safe as we ought to be in terms of wearing helmets because you're right. Most people don't wear them all the time.
1: Yeah, it's a, you know it's an accepted risk. Yeah, you decide not to wear a helmet. That, that's your call. Sure. But uh, you know you mentioned a minute ago about you know today's helmets are, are light. Mm-hmm. You know, Black Diamond has a new helmet out. Petzl has a new helmet out. They're like six ounces. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, like a, a good quality heavy ball cap weighs six ounces. Right. So <laughs> exactly. these, you know,
0: <laughs> I mean seriously, yeah. You know, you know,
1: little cap a way more, and than that. you know, they're low bulk, they fit well, sure. You know, they they buckle up nice, they're easy to adjust. They cost like a thousand dollars. I think they're you know, one hundred and hundred and ten to one hundred forty oh, okay. dollars, some somewhere in that right. range. It's not okay. quite a thousand, right, but right, you right. you are close, yeah. So, you know, get a helmet and wear it. Yeah, you know, you really have no reason not to. Right, consider
0: thinking about what your real reasons are for not wearing it. Because if it is some sort of fashion statement and you get clocked in the head, I mean, not, you're just, if you're still alive, you're going to feel like a fucking idiot. So I would say if nothing else, like take a moment to really examine your reasons for not wearing one is a good place to start. And if you, you know, if after, after you're fully aware and you're, you've, you, you know, you've signed the sort of mental waiver in your head, then, you know, that becomes a personal choice. But I just wanted to bring it up because it is one of those hard things where you're just like, yeah, I don't wear one, but I don't really know why I don't, you know.
1: Well, you know, I've been, uh, I hadn't worn a helmet until the last two years. Mm-hmm. Then I started wearing one almost all the time, mm-hmm. kind of as a holdover from ice climbing. Okay. Because you know, I got the new new helmets and they're sure. great. And I'm like, well, I'll just keep wearing this. Mm-hmm. So I was climbing just a couple of months ago. And it was in the, on the steep route where you wouldn't think that there would ever be any rock fall at all mm-hmm. and so i didn't wear the helmet and i climb and i get up to within like a couple of moves of the anchor and i'm looking down i'm watching my feet and a rock hits me right on the crown of my head you know not a big rock probably about the size of you know maybe a marble or right. two marbles and then my mouth open and hefe is like 80 feet down and he hears like this is you know, it sounded like a nut being cracked or something. <laughs> this rock hits me right on the crown of the head, and I could hear it. You know, it's like <laughs> Bing, and the, you know, I could hear the sound coming out, echoing out of my mouth. You know, <laughs> through, through my skull, and I didn't even know what it was. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what had even happened because I was in this roof. No rock could actually get to me, but somehow mm-hmm. it did. I don't know if it fell out of the where it came from, but right. but it taught me a lesson that that you can always get hit on the head by a rock because I was in a or a place where there should have been no chance. The, right the it could get beamed by rock, but it got me.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys are you guys so, are developing some, you know, out of the way places, if you will. It seems like a helmet would be standard issue up there.
1: Yeah, before we're climbing now, the rock is really solid. But yeah, oh, okay. we've climbed in some places that are <laughs> sketchy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but right now we're climbing on sandstone. Sandstone's usually, you know, it's kind of all melted together in okay. one, one lumpy piece of rock. Right, right. It's not not fractured
0: yeah it can take you out any time though, really, so and that's I guess the the thing to think about with that and actually, all these accidents, I mean, I guess there's sort of an overriding philosophy behind all this stuff, and that is this something I've preached just in climbing in general, and I think one of the great benefits or sort of fringe benefits of climbing is this kind of sense of awareness, and I'm always preaching like be aware.' not just of the sort of micro, the thing that's right around you, but there's sort of an awareness of chain of consequences. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think sport climbing, I think gym climbing have affected this stuff because we do come into those situations way more lackadaisical than than we go into big route climbing or climbing in sort of faraway places where you're a little bit more on point. You know, we've all sat there belaying somebody while talking to the person next to us at rifle or or in the gym or whatever, like only half aware of what's going on. And normally that's okay, but that is like the first step to the whole system breaking down. And whenever you have an accident, whenever you guys have written these reports about these accidents, you know, there is the point of the accident happening, whether it's the wrapping off the end of the rope or the the miscommunication with the lower – But step back from that, like when I was talking to Craig DiMartino, and it turns out that that the the accident started to happen, if not seconds, minutes, you know, before it actually happened, where there was this small breakdown and this one little bit of confusion, and nobody mentioned this and nobody mentioned that, and then minutes later the accident happened. So I would just preach this, like, real... Especially when you begin the system, when you begin the locking into the system of the belay and the rope and the tying in, break it down, quiet down, get rid of all the other noise, whether it's people talking around you or whatever. And at least for those moments, like get into the moment and be aware
1: of what's going on. Yeah, those are good tips. I'd add to that, you know, simplify your system. Always do everything the same way and communicate with your partner because, you know, if you do those things… And tie the trace eight and not the end of your ropes, and wear a helmet, and lose much weight. You'll probably <laughs> live a lot longer, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Dwayne.
0: Thanks for coming hey, It's in. been a pleasure to be here. Yeah.
1: Appreciate being the, the last interviewee in the closet. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see. Maybe I'll find a new closet to go into. Oh, well, I hope so. And please
0: uh, think about coming back for, for an interview about your life as a climber. I think um, there's some folks that would really be interested in hearing about that All right. as well. I'll be happy to
1: bore them for an hour or two.
0: Right on. Thanks,
1: Dwayne. Okay. You're welcome.
0: Alright, folks, do you feel a little safer now? A little safer, a little warmer, a little more fuzzy? Or do you just feel annoyed that we're telling you what to do? I hope not. That's the chance we take. Alright, before I go, one last little piece of business. In a couple weeks, coming up is the International Climbers Festival in Lander, the world's oldest climbing festival or at least the United States or Wyoming. I don't know. I forget. Anyway, it's been going on forever. It's awesome. It's coming up the 11th through the 15th of July in Lander, Wyoming. Lander is one of the few places that's really nice to climb in the dead of summer. So it's a good place to be in July. Hosted by all sorts of people up there in Lander, including Jill Hunter at the Lander Bar. The Royal We, that is the normal cast, is going to be in attendance. So, if you're shooting around for something to do in July, somewhere to climb, that's pretty nice and cool and a fun event to go to. Think about heading up to the Climbers Fest in Lander. Go to climbersfestival.org for more information, for tickets, for all that sort of stuff. And I hope to see you there. Okay, and since we have hit on the checking your not thing over and over again in this episode. I'm actually going to do something different at the end of this one. I may have done this before. I can't really remember, but it bears repeating because I forgot to mention it in the episode. And that is if you get to an anchor and you're planning on being lowered off, so you're going to stop there, tie through and then go back to the ground. Do not say off belay to your belayer because that's not what you mean. And your belayer actually, rightfully so, may just take you off belay because you told them you were off belay. You're not off belay. You're still on belay. You just need a minute to tie through the anchor. And like I said in the episode, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say a thing. Pull some slack. They'll give it to you. Tie through, say take, and come down to the ground safely. Aight? Aight. want a beer you gonna call room service
1: we got beer you haul beer up this rock you're insane i may be insane but i'm not stupid i didn't carry it you did it's in your pack